You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is at it again with a new line of lace-up hunting boots, the Navigator Series. And in that Navigator Series, there are two models. There's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator Series, visit lacrossefootwear.com. XP podcast with your host Steve Fielder and me Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. This episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we are traveling to South Texas. Steve and I flew into Austin, Texas, uh, spent a day in San Antonio sightseeing the Alamo. But our main goal for flying to Texas was to interview our guest today, Shorty Gorham. Shorty is a professional bullfighter with the PBR, also known as uh, Professional Bull Riders, that circuit and we're going to line this up with the World Championship Finals that are going to be taking place this week in Nevada, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. So you can watch that. You can catch a glimpse uh, of Shorty there and see him in action and uh, down on the floor fighting those bulls. He's also going to have the headset on. He'll be giving you some play-by-play there. But we didn't go down there to talk to him about bullfighting. We spent some time talking about that during the podcast but uh, we went down there to hunt bobcats and see shorty's pack in action what a pack uh, we've recorded a lot of that stuff on our social media pages uh, some different things that he's doing but shorty is quite a character a uh, very interesting guy i think i've made we've made some pretty good friendships there and give a shout out to our longtime friend Gary Robertson and he's going to be on this podcast too but Gary Robertson with uh, uh, Carnivore TV and Burnham Brothers Game Calls so Gary thank you for lining this up for us and introducing us to Shorty and we captured a really good conversation that covers bobcat hunting in South Texas running dogs scenting conditions uh, just covered a wide wide scope of entertaining conversation between four houndsmen underneath a uh, tool shed there and seeking shade it was hot we want to give a shout out to our sponsor w hunting supply w is uh, going to be one of our sponsors on the upcoming freedom hunters hunt which you're seeing now on social media the freedom hunters hunt is going to feature a veteran gold star family member that we're taking on an all-expense-paid mountain lion hunting trip to the Navajo Nation in northeast Arizona. 
And you can find all the information on that, our partnership with Freedom Hunters, uh, and get the backstory on our social media pages, both Instagram and Facebook. We've got a couple hashtags we're using on Instagram these days that I really hope you'll start using. Uh, one is the Houndsman XP podcast hashtag, and the other is I am not ashamed HXP. Use those hashtags, light our social media up for us, and we will be drawing the 50,000 download prize drawing that you've seen on social media as well next week on November 11th or thereabouts. So make sure you're getting those pictures in. You've got till the end of this week to get that done of the contest requirements so that you can be eligible to win. If you haven't seen that, go find it. I mean, we're talking about a prize package. One of them has uh, $200 worth of gift certificates or a gift card from W. And, of course, we have our other sponsors that have, have thrown in with us as well. So make sure you check us out on social media. And let's get to this interview today with Shorty Gorham. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, and we are in South Texas in the brush country, and we've got some special guests with us today. Of course, we've had Gary Robertson on the podcast before with Carnivore TV. Welcome to have you, Gary. Thanks for coming and hunting with us. Thank you. I never miss an opportunity like this. That's right. That's right. And uh, Steve, you're present we've seen your picture on social media at the alamo so we know you're here <laughs> yeah that's right remember the alamo yeah never the, forget it that's right that's right the man of the hour the guy we came down here to talk to you and and uh, thanks to gary he got this set up for us is shorty gorham uh, all right a professional bullfighter with a pbr and if you don't know who shorty gorham is just stop the podcast right now go check out youtube check out his social media pages uh things like that but uh shorty how are you today oh man i'm good good glad to have you guys down here uh welcome to the brush country of south texas no doubt hey we appreciate you inviting us down and and letting us come down here it's completely different hunting than than anything i've ever done out here in this brush country yeah i usually don't hunt when it's, uh, hunt when it's this hot most places but uh out here <laughs> this time of year sometimes you just don't have a choice right right so Steve, you had a bunch of stuff that you wanted to cover with Shorty. Oh, sure. Well, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, Shorty, honestly. And we've gotten to spend a little time here before the podcast uh, last night and then today and uh, getting to see the dogs work and uh, getting out in this wide open spaces of Texas is something that we don't see a lot back east. And that's always a treat to come to Texas for me. I, my first trip was way back in uh, 1970 when I went through the Air Force deal, uh, 69 actually, in San Antonio and then uh, San Angelo. But it's uh, it's always wonderful to be back here for me personally. I've always thought that I probably should have been born in Texas because I really like the, uh, the soul of this state out here. But at any rate, uh, when Chris told me that we were going to be able to talk to you, the first thing I did was get on, as Chris just said, get on 
YouTube and watch the videos and always been a big rodeo fan anyway. And uh, But why don't you give us a little backstory, Shorty, about, uh, uh, you know, you, where you grew up, uh, what brought you to this part of the country, and what got you involved in, in bullfighting? Yeah, well, uh, I grew up in, in Southern California, right along the Mexican border. I um, was born in a little town called El Centro. And uh, if you don't know where El Centro is, then you're doing good in life. You don't want to know where it's at. <laughs> it's a hot, miserable <laughs> booger. <laughs> but uh, uh, moved up to um, to Orange County, to San Juan Capistrano, when I was oh, about 12 years old. And uh, grew up on a ranch there. And uh, a lot of people don't know California is still largely ranching and farming. Um, actually grew up on a 40,000-acre ranch right on the outskirts of Orange County. So I tell people I had the best of both worlds could be in Orange County in about five minutes and or sit out there on the ranch and act like nobody else existed in the in the world. So real fortunate there and and um, had a childhood hero that, that uh, was actually a bullfighter. And so I wanted to be like him. And so my childhood dream was always to to be a bullfighter and and at you know in my early teens I was traveling around youth rodeos and got to know some of the people that that pro rodeoed and had a neighbor that was a, a rodeo secretary so every opportunity I had I'd travel with her to the to the pro rodeos and hang out with the bullfighters and, and try to learn from them and and uh, and then uh, moved up I guess I was I guess I was just turned 18 and got my my professional card to to fight bulls and and one of the best guys in the industry at the time has passed away since then but uh, dan russell had a bullfighter that that quit and and they needed one so i moved to northern california for for a little while and and started with the pro rodeos and and i did that for for a little while and, and then got the opportunity to go to uh to the national finals rodeo and and work that and uh about the same time um the uh, san antonio rodeo was really making a push to to try to have the best personnel and the best livestock in the industry at their rodeo and um they you know they give a uh indoor rodeo of the year and an outdoor rodeo of the year in the prca and and they were wanting to win those awards and i'd got to go to the nfr and and while we were there uh the, the manager of the rodeo he approached me and asked me to come to to texas that following year in uh and worked the rodeo and and I did and while I was here there was a there was a little old blonde headed kid that that uh during the rodeo they would um they would turn the bucking horses out in the arena and the announcers would talk about the the humane issues and and look at the beautiful animals and how fat they are and stuff and this little kid he would uh he would chase the bucking horses around on his horse in the arena and and uh <laughs> he was he was a cute little old kid pretty pretty cowboy for his age and and uh he and his family all all knew all the bullfighters that i was working with and leon coffee a lot of people will know leon and and uh so he got to hanging out with us in the in the locker rooms and every morning or every evening after the after the event was over his mom and grandma would have to come track him down and and uh he'd be in the locker room and i just I always hoped that his grandma was busy because his mom was pretty good looking. And, uh, <laughs> uh, there so you go. Turned out, uh, turned out, she was she was single and and uh, got back home and and uh, 
called Tanner to check on him. Of course, that's the excuse I use, but uh, <laughs> had to talk to his mom first so I could talk to Tanner. And right. The rest is history. I was moving to Texas before you knew it, so that's how I got here from California. And yeah. There's here, usually here a woman involved in these stories. Yeah, you know, Texas somebody. and pretty women. I yeah, just, absolutely. You know. We talked about that coming down. Texas has always been known for yeah. that. For yeah, sure. I would tell everybody the. Cowboys weren't known for playing football. They were known for their cheerleaders. That's right. <laughs> That's so, so tell us about, uh, like, the day in the life of a bullfighter with a PBR. Well, it's pretty pretty mellow. You know, it's it's funny because we uh, – How much does a bull weigh? Uh, on average, they're probably going to weigh, I'm going to say, probably around the – 1700 pound mark yeah and it's mellow getting in there running around picking a fight with a 1700 yeah. pound bull well right? it's just it's your, mellow your comfort zone you know it's, yeah it's whatever but i i tell everybody i'm too lazy to work and too scared to steal so it doesn't leave many op- options for <laughs> making money but uh but it's 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 nice you know i mean a lot of people we we go all over the united states and and uh mexico and canada and australia and and uh but the common denominator when we meet people is they always tell us that we're crazy, and and we always look at them and tell them you sit behind a desk all week and you're telling me I'm crazy, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so Good point. it's you know it's neat. I go, I'm usually travel with traveling work. I'm gone three to four days a week, and I have the rest of the week off. I get to get to do what we were doing this morning. You know, get to hunt right. three to four days a week, and then go get on a plane and go to work for two days and come home and do it again. So yeah, and we definitely want to set that the whole hunting situation up here. But right now we're sitting out. What do you call this little shed here? I mean, it's just a. Yeah, just uh, we're we're on a about a four thousand acre ranch here in Batesville, Texas, and uh, this is just a little storage shed that they use to uh, to store cotton seed, which is one of the proteins of choice down here for feeding deer. So we're yeah. just sitting here in the cotton seed shed. In the shade. Yeah, I want to drill down into this bullfighting thing because it fi- fascinates me. Uh, it takes agility absolutely mm-hmm. um what do you you know what's the the uh resume or the bio on a bullfighter what what am i trying to say the blueprint of a bullfighter what what does it take i think you know you just first and foremost you've you've got to you got to read animals you know the agility um the agility helps you get out of wrecks but that's got to be the last thing on your mind, you know, to, to get into a wreck, you can't be thinking about how you're going to get out of it. So, so <laughs> you got to, first thing you got to do is, is for one, you need to learn how to read your cattle. If you don't already know it, I was really lucky because I was raised on a ranch working cattle every day, but, and then two, you gotta, you gotta, uh, you know, learn how to put fear aside and because it's scary. You're, you're up against a big animal that's, that can kill you, you know, and, and, um when they hit you it hurts and and those things so you got to be able to to just forget about the fear part of it and know you have a job to do and and then you know when you're reading that animal like uh i'm trying to as the ride's going on i'm trying to watch for me i watch the core um everybody's a little bit different i watch the the person riding them i watch their core because just like in in all sports Mm -hmm. wherever their core is going that's where they're going Mm -hmm. and and if I can predict where that guy's going to win and where he's going to land and because be there. Because most of the time he is going to land, right? Yeah, um, but um, even if they even ride after him, the eight they seconds, still have right. to get off, yeah, you know. And right. that's the okay. that's the thing is, no matter no matter whether they ride him or not, it's still dangerous. And 
And so my my job is to predict when and where they're going to hit and try to be there and time it where I'm there about the same time and and then get that bull's attention and and uh it can be you know some of these bulls are they're going to want to move away from you some of them want to want to try to hurt you and so at the same time you're doing all this you're trying to get a feel for that bull's attitude at that very moment and and decide what I need to do to make that bull pay attention to me rather than the guy that's laying there vulnerable and so sometimes it's you know hazing the bull away from the situation sometimes it's getting your hands on his head and getting him to focus on you and and uh the reason we put our hands on their head is is uh if we can get those bulls to pick their head up we can take them out of four-wheel drive for just a split second get their front feet to come up and get that weight off their front feet and if then they're just driving with their back feet they're not driving with all four and it gives us a split second to to make our move and and uh then try to take that bull in a direction where he's going to go away from the the rider and and uh we in the pbr we always work with uh, three man teams so um kind of triangulate that bull and 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 you're not going to outrun them straight so you want to always go in a circle and if i'm going in a circle i'm going to run into my partner over there and he's going to pick the bull up and we just keep handing him off to the next guy until the bull figures out he's not going to win and and gives, gives up goes up, back home so, but, are the bulls pretty predictable from from event to event or can yes you kind no. of yeah do yeah, you I get mean, to know bulls like riders get to know bulls? Yeah, but but same as the riders, I think that's your that's it can screw you just as bad as it can help you, you know, and because and we've all done it. I mean, but you know, you think, oh, this bull's going to do this and he's going to do that, and so you set yourself up for one thing to happen, and then something else happens, and that, and then you look like an idiot, and the guy gets hurt, you know, and that's the the thing that about our job when when um, you know when we screw up people get hurt so you don't want to you don't want to screw up too often so i always try to take those bulls jump for jump and just be there be ready for anything and and just uh take nothing for granted yeah exactly yeah exactly. don't try to overthink it yep right and you've been doing this how many years now 26 Jordan? years wow 26 yeah i've been awesome. with pbr for uh 14 years but yeah yeah, yeah. so now you do some teaching or you have schools and things a little bit yeah yeah mm -hmm. we'll take some young guys that that uh, think they want to be a bullfighter or or some of them you know have been doing it for a while and we can kind of sharpen their skills or or help young guys get into it and, and learn learn the the proper way starting out you know because so did you start that you've got another company you've got your own company called american freestyle bullfighting yeah or is yep. it fighters? American freestyle bullfighting. You're right. Yeah, American freestyle bullfighting. And Gary, you went down and did you attend one of those schools? Yes, sir. And you've recorded a couple episodes for Carnivore TV on that. Yes, sir. We uh, of course we did a little cat hunting, but then we built the whole show around those schools and those kids. And uh, it was it was quite an education for me because, you know, I'd been around stock all my life, raised on a ranch down here, and I never knew that, you know, bulls are left-handed and right-handed just like we are and how they, they favor, you know, certainly like to, you know, go with one horn or the other. Yeah. And, and uh, just, you know, just to watch the way they, they train those kids. And, and of course, the, when I first came down here, I'm like, okay, I'm thinking, you know, here's going to be a bunch of smart aleck kids that may be a little bit difficult to deal with. I was shocked. Uh, those kids were of high character. Uh, some of them weren't kids. We had one that was 42 years old, and he was a little over the hill. He was an attorney in Seattle, Washington, 
several of them were college graduates. Wow. Uh, but they had one common denominator, and and uh, that's that they all have love that adrenaline rush. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty amazing. So what episodes were those? Do you remember the season and the episodes? Uh, we did those uh, not this season, but the season before. Right. And then, of course, we came down and did a, another show with, with uh, Shorty this year. But we, we built that show around the fighting cattle, which, you know, it's just like rodeo. Which is a whole had, other part of oh, this. Oh, yeah. That, but, you know, unless you draw, uh, you know, the right bull, you know, you can't, you know, I don't care how good a fighter you are. That bull's 50%, 50% of the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't win with that bull. Just like if you're trying to ride him, if he's a dink, you know, you're, he's going to score 20 points and you're going to score 50. Well, that's 70. You're not going to win anything. Right. So you want that baddest son of a gun. And, of course, I would, you know, I, I wouldn't want that baddest one. You didn't You didn't get in the <laughs> ring and you didn't I go tried, through the training? I didn't do that. At age 66, <laughs> I tried to. Uh, Phil Lyon, who's Shorty's father-in-law, he and I kind of stayed uh uh, behind the shoots a little bit, although we did help push cattle up occasionally. There you go. Hmm. Yeah, I grew up in the hills of West Virginia, you know, and uh, we didn't have anything like that. Um, but when I first started coming to Texas with UKC, guys said, "Well, Fielder, you're a little guy. You'd have made a good bullfight, uh, bull rider." I said, "Man, you are crazy. If you think <laughs> I'm going to climb on one of those, bad yeah, the closest boys, thing I've I ever can't seen. imagine. Yeah, the closest thing I've ever seen." You know, we grew up with cattle and stuff too, but I'm sure there's different stuff where we got ran over and brothers got ran over. But my brother-in-law, we had a rogue cow that got out. And she was mean, and uh, we were trying to herd her back up in there. And my brother-in-law's standing there trying to block her, and she just came up and head-butted him and lifted him off the ground, and his shoes just flew off his feet. I mean, it was just, <laughs> Rob, you've been knocked out of your shoes. <laughs> They're powerful. They're, they really are. Really are. Well, how much traveling do you do, Shorty? Uh, that's the that's the not so fun part of the job, yeah. you know. We're we're um oh I'm probably gone about a hundred and twenty days a year, somewhere wow. around there. So yeah. yeah, it's but it's it's now, you know, being in the in the PBR professional bull riders versus back when I was rodeo and the rodeos are are oftentimes in small towns all mm-hmm. scattered all out over you know everywhere the the neat thing about the the pbr is is especially at the unleash the beast tour which is the premier tour they're all in major cities and so there's yeah. an airport everywhere i go so yeah i drive to san antonio and and uh let some fancy pilot worry about driving the rest of the way and and uh you know they the, pick you up in a limo no, airport. no, <laughs> lift an Uber, man, lift an Uber. Lift so. an Uber. Yeah, but. Uh, well, we, we were waiting on you there uh, yesterday, I think it was. You were coming out of North Carolina. Yeah, we were in Greensboro, and uh, it's just, you know, I used to stress out when we had travel issues, but now it's just you're nothing just you can do about it. So we had fog there, and uh, going to miss my connection because we were delayed, so I had to take another flight and ended up. Yeah. Ended up getting here about four or five hours later than I was yeah. supposed to, but that's just part of it. Well, back in my Coonhound days with the registries, you know, we kind of would drive if it was like six, seven hours, mm-hmm. and if we had a motor home. If not, we flew. That's kind of that's and, about our deal, you know. Yeah. So I get to yeah. drive. We'll go to Arlington, uh, you know, which is right there in Dallas, and and uh, 
Everything's six to, and seven hours in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty good, pretty good ways. Yeah. Well, especially when you live in Catula. Yeah, that makes it that much worse. <laughs> but get to drive to a couple events. But you know, I had to look up Catula. Yeah. I had not heard of Catula, Texas, and I looked it up before I came down here. So I kind have to be an coming. idea. You have to be coming to it. It's not somewhere you drive through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's for sure. Well, man, it's a fascinating career, and uh, it, it just, uh, I, I'm sure that people are going to really enjoy meeting you through the podcast because uh, uh, most of the guys that follow hounds, there are certain things they like to do, and rodeo is one of them. They, you know, it's a big spectator thing that most everybody enjoys, you know. Yeah, I've, I've actually, uh, because of social media, you know, I've actually got to meet a lot of hound hunters um, mm-hmm. throughout the years. You know, they'll shoot me a message on whatever instagram or something facebook and you know hey we're planning on going to the pbr in greensboro uh right. are you going to be in town are you going to be there yeah yeah and uh get meet there at the hotel lobby afterwards usually have a cold beer and and talk yeah. dogs for a while which there is always a relief because uh uh we get to we got a deer standing right over here watching us right there a little doe but uh, well, uh all right but we don't have any deer dogs, though, in the truck, do we? Not today. We, proved we didn't. That. <laughs> we proved that earlier. That's we for sure. We've been hunting all morning, and we've had a good hunt. Took a big ground. How far did we go around the circle there today? You, I, you know, I don't know. I'd have to look at the Garmin, yeah. but it was – We let's not call it hunting. Let's call it exercising the exercising dogs today. The we didn't dogs, get anything yeah. done. It's Conditions down here are just as tough as they can get right now. Yeah. It's, it's dry, dry, dry. Yeah. I haven't had – haven't had a rain in a long time down here, and it's. Uh, I, was, I was looking earlier; it's 83 degrees, but the heat index is 89, and we're trying to catch a cat. But good thing is tonight there's a cold front with a storm moving in, and we're supposed to get a little rain shower. And tomorrow's going to be a completely different day. Yeah, well, yeah. Chris and I always talk about the weather on the podcast, and we set that all up just so you Texas Perfect. guys know. <laughs> we we set all that up, made yeah. the arrangements, you right, know, so you right. get a little weather here. And stuff. we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, one little thing I want to ask you before mm-hmm. we we get over to talking to the dogs i'll hand off to chris but i know you've been hurt doing this mm-hmm. well, what what's been the extent of injuries and things like that oh nothing nothing terrible you know um been in our industry that's just that's just part of the game you I know they've you. said for a long time it's not if you get hurt it's when and how bad and, and uh to me you know life-threatening injuries or something to talk about the rest of them are just Hey, I'll see you when you get back, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, broken bones is all just part of it. But, um, you know, last, oh, last year I missed going to the world finals cause I dislocated my foot and, uh, which, you know, wasn't normally not, a, you know, if you dislocate your finger or something, it's not bad, but when you make your living oh, on your imagine. feet, I was yeah. stuck at home. So, um, but worst injury I've had was, uh, shattered my left shoulder. So had to have surgery and got a plate and a bunch of screws in there, but. Other than that, I've been really, really lucky. You know, some some broken bones, but yeah. nothing that's kept me out very long. Well, you mentioned the finals, and this podcast is going to come out to coincide with the uh, PBR uh, finals. Mm-hmm. Tell us just a little bit about that. Well, the finals is is uh, held at the T-Mobile Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, I believe it's the uh, the sixth through the twelfth, or or the sixth through the tenth or eleventh, or something like that, but um it's it's the best we take 
typically week in and week out we have the best 35 bull riders uh in the in the world at our events but there they they bring in a few guys from australia and and uh canada and and mexico so we'll start out with the top 40 bull riders in the world and and uh whittle it down each they get to get on four bulls and then uh championship round and and uh see who gets to walk out of there with a million dollar bonus and you know usually the guy that wins it's going to make oh from about million and a half to uh to million eight or something like that in a in a year's work so how many rides pretty, is he gonna have to take to get that, that well you know uh been getting on all year long but there they're gonna get uh five more bulls to hmm. to to finish it off and this this year's been extremely exciting because um the number one guy is setting all kinds of records season earning records um points records uh normally in a normal situation he would completely just take off with with the uh with the season title but the number two guy is also setting records and um and the number three guy is not far behind him this is so got you know, a tight race going yeah and awesome. in the 26 or 27 years that the pbr has been around um and i've been around for about half of them this is this has been the funnest funnest race to watch cool. so far so yeah. and they're all really really young guys all you know in their in their third and fourth year of riding bulls in the PBR, so they've got a long, long life left of, ahead of them. So it's going to be fun for the years. Now, to come. if somebody wants to watch this every night, uh, where, where are they going to find it? It'll be on CBS uh, Sports Network or on CBS. I'm not sure exactly of the schedule, um, but uh, but it'll be on one of those two channels every night. So awesome, and well, and every weekend, you know, um, we we have bull riding pretty much every weekend and if even if not they'll have replays so check it out every weekend on cbs or cbs sports network typically cbs sports network sure yeah before we leave the bullfighting part you and i don't know what the partnership is i know i've talked to gary a few times about these cattle you're bringing in and i assume you're bringing those in for the your your company yeah American for the freestyle yeah, yeah this freestyle. um so my wife's uncle and and cousin actually own these these bulls but we've put together our own set of uh of mexican fighting cattle um and uh and went and you know we bought a bunch of cows and then we went and bought the best best two breeding bulls we could find and and uh been raising them and pretty excited because here uh typically you want to wait until they're two-year-olds to test the the females Mm -hmm. um and so the females, the first batch of, of females are, are going to be two-year-olds here in January. So here, December, January, we're going to have some more bullfighting schools, and we're going to be testing those heifers. And, and what we're testing them for is, is you know, the how aggressive they are and, and different qualities that it takes to be a female that we would want to breed to. Yeah. And uh, simultaneously, I've actually started um, – another uh opportunity with these cattle with the american buck and bulls incorporated and uh um we're actually having a competition for the females where we can take these females and and go you know pay a thousand dollar entry fees and uh people from all over the country can come do the same and we're gonna we're gonna match them up and see who's got the best cattle and uh, just like you would at a yeah. At a field trial or yeah, anything sure. else. Yeah, sure. That's so, neat. Yeah. Gary, you, you described these cattle to me a couple of times. What's what's your impression of these cattle? And what's been your involvement with them? 
Well, the only involvement I've had with them is just coming down here with Shorty and then watching the school and then going out and actually, you know, being in the pasture with these cattle. But uh, the thing that strikes me about the cattle is, you know, the fighting cattle are not big. Uh, the cows are small. And as long as you stay in the pickup, you know, Shorty said we need to stay in the pickup. Well, it's not because you would think it's because they're so aggressive. Well, it's not. It's because these cattle are wild. And it's not until you cut one off by itself that they get really aggressive. Mm-hmm. And to show you how wild they were, we decided we were shooting video of the cattle and we'd kind of fed them down the road and uh, and then moved away from them. We decided to fly a drone back in over the top of them. And normally, shooting cattle for video. Yeah, we were shooting, yeah. you know, just video of them. And uh, when that, those cattle saw that drone coming, holy smoke, they left. They threw the tails over their back and left there just like a deer would. Yeah. I mean, normal cattle would not do that. But, I mean, they're watching everything. These cattle don't miss anything. They're like wild deer. They're mm-hmm. more like deer. Wow. Yeah. And then tell me about the aggressiveness of these cattle. Well, what, what I thought was most interesting is what, you know, these cattle are the same cattle that they use in Spain or Mexico for, with the matadors. Mm-hmm. But they want, ca- the, when they screen those cattle, they want those bulls that, that flow with the matador. That, in other words, sticks their head in the cape and keeps it there and just follows the cape around. Well, any of them that are high-headed, uh, as Shardy describes them, those guys don't want them. Because that bull is too aggressive. He's looking for the guy. He's not keeping his head in that cape. Well, that's the bad fighting one. That's the worst one. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's all the, that's the one Shorty wants. So the coals that they have fit perfect into Shorty's program. Fascinating <clears throat> stuff. Yeah, it's you know, the, and that's the, the interesting thing. They've been breeding those bulls for that doe's bringing her little fawns up here now. Um, they've been breeding those bulls since the early 1700s you know to do to do to be aggressive and 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 they they're bred to fight to the death but they are more like deer they're they're they want to get away from you when they feel confined they're like a deer crossed with a hog you know when you get a hog confined and then he gets Mm -hmm. aggressive it's it's about the same the the hog hunters out there will understand what we're talking about there but but yeah they're and uh but nobody's ever bred them for freestyle bullfighting until now so we're trying to reshape the the um, qualities that we're looking for, and so that's why we're starting this breeding program and the and the its DNA registry with ABBI and and having these competitions so that we can create something specifically for the freestyle bullfighting. So so, tell us about real quickly here. Tell us about freestyle bullfighting because it's actually its own sport and its own league. You're, you're develop there are there leagues for that I guess or yeah well <clears throat> what yeah are you doing a, with that it's its own association so okay. um yeah uh so basically if you're watching rodeo or whatever you see the the bullfighters are out there saving the the cowboys but in freestyle bullfighting it's a it's a place where these guys can demonstrate their skill one on one with with the uh, Spanish fighting bulls and in some places they'll use um crossbred bulls or whatever in in our association i strictly use the spanish fighting bulls i think they're more aggressive i think they're more exciting and and uh and they're they're small bulls so these guys are really able to demonstrate their athletic ability they're doing front flips over them they're doing back flips over them they're jumping them with pole vaults pogo sticks it's really cool watching these guys but the competition is is uh they have to they have to survive in the arena with the bull for 35 seconds 
Okay. And, or 30 seconds, excuse me. And um, and they'll hear, hear a whistle blow. And after that whistle, they have an additional 15 seconds to, to show off or we call it selling their show, you know. And so they've they've stayed alive out there. And the, the object is is to to stay as close to that bull as you can and show control. So you want to sh- demonstrate that you can take him to his left, you can take him to his right, you can fake him out, uh, you know, and, and all these things and, and keep total control of him and and any kind of extra risk any you know the closer you stay the more risk you're taking so you're getting more points and then and then typically at the end of the the 30 seconds those guys hear that bell and they'll they'll uh they'll back up and they'll take a run at them and and jump them or do a flip over them or something like that just to show the judges that hey not only can i control him i can do some really cool stuff too so yeah people really do need to go on youtube yeah i just saw a clip the other day and it was really interesting really yeah, and this kid he, he kind of did a backflip at the back now up up on the stage mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. yeah yeah you can and you know <laughs> on social media uh you can find it at at shorty gorham afb which american freestyle bullfighting you can follow us there we're always putting new new material out there for everybody to see it's right it's it's fun it's not something that i've ever well I, i've done it twice uh and uh I tell everybody I'm undefeated because uh, I, I did. I won the first two rounds, but right at the tail end of the second round, I broke my ankle. And so uh, those were the only times I've done it. I've never really liked doing it, but I always admired watching the guys that, that have the guts to do it because it's, you know, when your friend's about to get hurt or killed or something, it's easy to run into a burning house to save them. But just to run into a burning house to prove you can is takes a totally different set of guts, you know, <laughs> basically what these guys are doing. That's great. Good point. That's great. Well, we need to talk about some dogs, but yeah. boy, this rodeo thing is awesome, and I and I really appreciate you sharing all that with us, Shorty, and, and we'll probably get a lot of questions that will come up from this. But uh, I think there's a lot of spinoff questions from your cattle we're going to get mm-hmm. into with with the, the stock of dogs you're, you're running here on these bobcats. As houndsmen, we share very unique needs when we make a decision to relocate, especially when it comes to finding a hound-friendly environment in which to live. REMAX Hall of Fame realtor Evan Harrell is a houndsman himself, and he and his team understand your relocation needs as no one else can. With so many things to consider before you move, Evan can help you find just the right location anywhere in the country whenever you decide to go, and will even help with the process of selling your present home. And Steve, REMAX Elite Realty is based in Franklin, North Carolina. Evan Harrell specializes in residential sales and especially in helping people like us to relocate to the locations we choose anywhere in the United States. REMAX has been the leader in residential transactions since 1999 and rated the number one brand in real estate. Evan has been named top producer four years in a row and Chairman's Club recipient in 2018. Contact Evan online at evanherrell.com or give him a call at 828-371-5103. You and your hounds will be glad you did.
one of the observations I've already made is the amount of time that you is it's apparent the amount of time you spent with these dogs. You know, everything's got a system. Nothing's mobbing you at the gate when it comes out. Uh, you're collaring each dog when they come back. They're very orderly getting back in the in the truck. So, you know, there's no beating. There's no yelling or screaming. It, everybody knows their job and their place. And I'm sure it wasn't that way automatically. But that's one of my first observations of oh, your yeah, dogs. Absolutely. And uh, Shorty, tell us a little bit about the dogs that we have here, the kind of kind of canine we're dealing with right here. These are mainly mainly run and walker. There's a couple of them got a little bit of, you know, I've got one that's got about a 16th beagle and another one that's got about a 16th of tree and dog in it, but mainly mainly run and walkers and they're they're for the most part dogs that have just come from this part of the world for years and years that that have been successful in cat hunting in this in this environment and uh taking a long time to put them together, but but I finally finally got the the kind of dogs that I like to hunt and that I enjoy and and uh they're uh we didn't get to see much out of them today but uh but they're a fun set of dogs and and as far as handling and stuff you know i i grew up with uh cattle dogs you know and mm-hmm. and heck we never had shocking collars or tracking collars or nothing and just remember yelling at dogs until you're horse you know and and uh it just mm-hmm. drove me crazy and and i thought man that's 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 not fun you know and so uh as soon as the tra- uh, shocking collars came out, I figured if I was going to have a dog and, and feed it, I'm going to enjoy every second with it and, and yelling at it's not one of them. So I just, <laughs> if they're not going to mind, you know, I, they're not going to stay here. So. Well, we're not talking about one or two dogs here. We're talking about, you got how many in the truck? Thirteen. Thirteen Today, in yeah. the truck and every one of them. Yeah, and wh- the point I I thought about as you were talking, you know, I grew up as a kid roading dogs in front of the road and mm. watching dogs, how they operate off the road and on. I watched this pack of dogs this morning and they know what they're doing. You know, they're, they're not out there having a free for all when you cut them loose. You know, I mean, mm. yeah, their dogs are going over here and emptying out and this and that. But once they get on that road in front, you know, they're looking for a track and if they, they're checking here and they're checking there and mm-hmm. we did have i think a cold trail uh, a little bit there early this morning and uh, yeah got to watch them how they how they packed in you know mm-hmm. on that and, uh, but it is very very dry here yeah it is dry it's like this time of year it's if, terrible. if you know probably i don't know gary would if if you're not within 30 minutes behind that cat you're 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 just not going to trail them up and get them jumped you know it's just it's just that kind of weather right now mm-hmm. and so um, but you'll see a night and day difference come tomorrow. I think we got a hundred percent chance of rain, so of about a quarter of an inch, but just a little moisture will change, you know, and we're, we're down in, in this neck of the woods. Uh, I don't mind sharing the secrets because it's all private land, you know, and, and so, uh, so I don't mind telling everybody, but this is a, this is the densest bobcat population in the U S right here. So there's a lot of cats, you know, and I've got dogs that are, that are you know two years old that that have 150 to 170 cats under their belt so uh they they know there's cats out there and and that's one of the things that i that i specifically breed for is that overwhelming desire to catch game you know and i think that's besides brains i think that's one of the most important things there is is just that no matter what they want to catch game and and uh i think it it helps them and and they start at a younger age that way and you know, uh, I raise them loose, uh, 
from the time they're you know big enough to to not get run over there at the house uh by vehicles and leave them loose and let them run rabbits and whatever they want at their own pace and and when they get to reaching out too far and ending up on the neighbors then i put them in the pack of dogs and <laughs> and they 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 already know that there's game out there and they go look and they're going to find it so well, to paint a picture of what the pack looks like, you know, these are predominantly tricolored dogs. You've got some what we call red tick. Uh, uh, you've got a couple or one I know that has is predominantly red mm-hmm. with some white uh, trim and some ticks. Uh, the typical uh, 45-pound, 50-pound dogs, up on legs real good, tight. Uh, deep-chested, you know, look like they can burn the wind. Sounds like a bench show judge. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I've I've had to play that role before, I know too. It. I know it. <laughs> uh, but, but believe me, you know, I used to give seminars at the Westminster Dog Show in New York City. Mm-hmm. I would ten, a hundred times rather be sitting here on this tailgate. Absolutely. Here in Texas talking to you fellas <laughs> right. than I would be t- t- doing it that you know but yeah but there's good people in that sport too i don't want to but but at any rate yeah well uh gary you grew up right here pretty close in this country right less than an hour from here yeah and and your grandfather and your family had running style dogs they had running walker dogs and uh of course they they called the organization they hunted with and and started back in the 1920s the South Texas Wolf Hunters Association, mm-hmm. but they were running coyotes. You know, in those days there weren't any deer in this country because of the screw worm, uh, the screw worm fly. I mean, the deer were almost non-existent. Yeah. So a lot of these dogs didn't have to be really well broke. About the only thing that was here was coyote and a few cats, but the country at that time was much more open than it is today, and uh, I have a I know I was telling you an old uh, Time magazine from December of 1936, and it shows guys going cross country at Catula in a bed of a half-ton pickup. Guys, you know, with cattle racks on the back, and they're driving across country to the dogs. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, you can't do that. Uh, <laughs> you can't hardly walk. Trust me, you, can't walk. you <laughs> cannot. <laughs> and and I think it's made the bobcat habitat better because of that. Definitely. And. Shorty, you know, like you saying, this this is the mecca of bobcat hunting. I think I think the population here is probably higher than any place I've ever. I know it's higher than any place I've ever been. Yeah, yeah. And it helps, you know. We got this is deer country, and it used to be all cattle country, and it's deer country now. And and uh, we got a lot of absentee landowners, and so the way that helps in my opinion, you know, these guys are living in Houston or Dallas or whatever, but the deer hunting is such so good down here they've bought ranches down here well they're not here uh killing predators all year long you know so the the bobcats i can hunt them you know right here on this ranch and and take a lot a lot of bobcats off this ranch every year well on three sides of us we're we're surrounded you know by bobcat habitat and so every time there's a void here they're moving in from the other ranches and so it's uh for cat hunters it's a it's a great place because of the absentee landowners you know so and it also that that deer business because mm-hmm. it is a business, um, you know, it's opened up the gates for you to come in and bobcat hunt some places. Yeah, specifically this ranch right here. Uh, since this family's owned it, they've kept great records, and they 
they do everything the exact same day every year. They fly this thing for, uh, they do a deer survey out of a helicopter twice a year, and it's always on the same dates. Um, they fly it for, for uh, to kill coyotes and uh, a couple times, two or three times a year, maybe four times a year, but they always keep records of how many of every, you know, how many deer they see of, of what age and, and how many coyotes they're seeing or killing and, and how many hogs and all that stuff. Well, since I've been hunting this ranch in the last three years, the fawn survival rate has increased by 25%. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when there might be, you know, 300 head of deer here on this place, that uh, that adds up when they're, when they're, you know, this ranch is hunted just for, for family. This is a family mm-hmm. ranch. They're raising big deer, but... Um, we if saw you were, one this morning. Yeah, and yeah. that was just a nice, nice buck. But, but if you were doing what most ranches are doing down here, and, and they're selling those deer hunts, you know, and and a deer, uh, deer like the deer we saw earlier, he's going to bring ten thousand. Something bigger is going to bring twenty thousand. So twenty five percent increase in your fawn survival rate is going to make you a heck of a lot more money. So these guys are actually calling, asking you to come hunt. You know, right. it's, it's it's neat if you. If you build a reputation and you take care of their country like it's yours and, and your dogs aren't running deer, they want you here. What a great, that's a great message right there. Sure. You know, take care of their country like it's yours. Mm-hmm. Or better, you know. Or, or, better, or better, yeah. Better. If, I, if I'm driving down the road and I see a piece of trash on the on the road, I, I stop and pick it up, throw it in the back of my truck, and, you know, they they see that. They see you got trash in the bed of your truck and and you didn't yesterday, you know, where did mm-hmm. it come from? I oh, picked it up back there. And you might even let them know that you did just to, just so they sure. know you're doing good for Sure. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Landowner relations is everything mm-hmm. in this dog sport for sure. Well, what about the future of bobcat hunting in Texas? I mean, is there, has there been any effort to try to restrict it or anything? It's open year-round, right? There's no season on them? Open year-round. There's no season. Um, uh, day or night, you can spotlight. You can use calls. You can anything the bobcats of varmint here so is the coyote so is the mountain lion texas the state of texas brings in over two billion dollars a year in their hunting industry and so uh they they realize that and they they know what it takes to keep the hunting industry going and and they know the killing predators is one of them so uh they're not going to restrict it anytime soon i don't see yeah good on soap not for sure okay now the Tracking conditions today obviously were were bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's very dry. Uh, how's how much moisture are we going to need to get overnight t- to pick it up? Man, just a sprinkle would would totally change it. You know, it's 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 so dry. But if we get a little sprinkle and then the cloud cover is supposed to stay in here, you know, mm-hmm. if a lot of people probably know that you know if you get rain and then the sun comes out that that scent's going to go with the moisture. It's going to go straight to the air. But if that cloud cover will stay in here and, and uh, keep that evaporation from happening so fast, it'll we'll be able to trail a cat up. You know, it's, it's several hours ahead of us where today, if they weren't several minutes ahead of us, we weren't going to get yeah. it done. So Now, how is this cat? typically run down here i mean when you when the pack gets him and there's you know the 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 track gets up and they've jumped the cat or or take it from from the time they strike the track yeah usually usually you know these these cats uh once they you know they're gonna trail it up this set of dogs is is they move a track pretty fast so uh once they get them jumped though these cats there's different different pockets here that they that they like to 
be in. You know, sometimes you'll have them in a black brush, which is, which is kind of a tall, straight, stemmy uh, thorn that's a real hard brush, and the dogs can't push through it. They, you know, and those cats will run in that. You'll get some pretty good races just because those dogs can't push through that brush. Um, but they'll typically, they're not staying in it, but they might run to it and then and then run in it. So once you get them jumped, they might uh, they might run a straight line for just a short ways to get to that black brush depending on how much pressure the dogs are already putting on them and then before they go to ducking and, and dodging. But there's also some white brush down here, which is more of a, it's a softer stem. There's no thorns on it, but it grows up off the ground, you know, say maybe a foot or so, and then starts really tangling its, itself with the plants next to it, and it leaves little tunnels and stuff in in that white brush, and there's a lot of rats and, and rabbits and stuff that hang around that stuff, and those bobcats really, really like the white brush you know if you've got white brush go look there if you're trying to find a cat and if they're in or around that stuff boy they'll just instantly go to ducking and and doubling back and and forth you know i showed you guys a little white brush thicket here a while ago and it's probably 120 yards wide by maybe 200 yards long and and i've literally had 45 minute races in there where the dogs were never more than 100 yards from me and that mm -hmm. cat will just double back through them or squat or you know, and it's it's fun as it can be because you can just sit right there next to them with the window down and listen and, to the roar. Oh man, you get to soak it up. And yeah, most of the cats <laughs> down here run pretty good, but some of this, if if they're out in some of this country that's a little bit looser brush, um, typically typically a 15 or 20 minute race is is pretty normal. If it goes over that, they're probably going to get caught on the ground because they're not going to tree. So yeah, so you percentage of the cats that get caught versus uh tree and i've never kept track of that that's something that uh when we talked about that a little bit yesterday mm -hmm. um i'm gonna start keeping track of that because it's to me it's that's something that's interesting i've i do know that the the better dogs i've i've raised and um and the faster that they've gotten that number is has dramatically gone up you know my races have gotten shorter and uh there's a lot less trees it's a lot more cats caught on the ground but it's definitely definitely um more than half of the cats that i catch are, are on the ground i would say probably in the probably in the 60 to 70 percent range something like that would be would be on the ground right yeah well what about oh go ahead chris no I'm, I, I was just agreeing and keeping the conversation well, rolling Breeding of dogs interests me a lot, yeah, uh, and I think it does most of our listeners. And uh, you, you and I, and Chris had talked a little about your the way you breed these dogs, and mm -hmm. and I found it really interesting. You use some some frozen semen. You use uh, you select these sires, and now mm -hmm. just tell tell us a little bit about your breeding program, how you do it. I know that sometimes you. But once you determine you're not going to use a particular dog, you may neuter that dog mm -hmm. or whatever. Tell us about that. Yeah, and the the main reason I neuter them is because uh, uh, I just I I hate leaving a dog in the kennel when I go hunting, and so when I have females in heat, I can still take those males, you know. And I if I have a stud dog, I leave him at home, and I take the rest of the pack. So it's not like you're having to leave half the dogs at home because you got a female in heat or whatever so that's the main reason i do that but um as far as the breeding goes i wait a second so you're neutering part of your dogs have you noticed any kind of performance issues with anything nothing nothing 
No, the only thing that I have noticed is, is you know, and a friend of mine and I were talking about it the other day. He said, man, I don't like spaying females or neuter males because they get fat. I said, so what? You're saving money on dog food. Don't feed them as much. <laughs> you know, but no, I haven't noticed anything. Right. And if anything, they've gotten better because they're, they're not sniffing the females. They're not peeing on the brush. They, they're, you know. There's a reason that the horse industry castrates all the all the horses, you know, because it's not fun to ride a stallion all day long, you know. So, right. um, and the dogs are the same. Their behavior. I if I really had it my way, uh, when I raise a set of puppies, I keep them all, and um, just because I like to evaluate the breed, you know, or the that cross, and so I keep them all because I want to know exactly how they were hunted. I want to know exactly how many made it, and what what that cross is throwing, but. If I wasn't doing that, I would hunt all females. Hands down, 100%, not a doubt in my mind, I would mm-hmm. hunt all females just because I don't like the peeing on the bushes or the tires and the and the being growly or anything like that. So yeah. that's part of the reason I castrate them. Yeah, right. so, absolutely. So now we talked a little bit about line breeding or family mm-hmm. breeding the dog. How do you work that usually? Man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the line breeding. And, um, in fact, these, these dogs that I have right here, uh, I hunted with a friend of mine, Robert Kerr, a while back and, and he had some really good dogs and, and, uh, there was, there was three dogs that really seemed to stand out in there and they all came from a, from a bloodline. The guy's name, um, uh, was James Land and I believe Gary, he was a coyote and, and a hog hunter. Is that mm-hmm. correct? I knew him and, from hog hunting. Yeah, more and than anything else. He had a set of cur dogs that he hunted dogs with, and he had a and then had runner walkers that he that he hunted cats with, and these dogs stood out, man. I, in fact, the the one dog I I watched him one time, and I said I want that dog, and Robert said, no, nah, he's not for sale. I said bullshit, everything's for sale, and uh, <laughs> and he he uh, he looked at me, he said you're really gonna do that to me, and I said yeah, I said don't you don't have to make a decision right now, but next time I come, I'm taking him home. And so, uh, um, we, I did, I came the next time and I said, you figure out a price. And he said, you're serious. And, and I took the dog home that day and, and then ended up, uh, later on, ended up with the brother and the sister and, and, um, uh, those dogs were real heavily line bred dogs. And, and unfortunately, Mr. Lambs, Mr. Lance passed away. Those were some of the last dogs that he ever raised. And Robert had gone to his house and, uh, and bought them there from his house and and uh so i i heard of another guy uh near here that's a hog hunter um and uh bubba allen's his name and and bubba had a female that was straight out of the land's dogs and so i i talked to bubba and and he had he had crossed that female a lot to cur dogs because he was he liked the cur dog running dog for for hog hunting and so uh Anyways, he had a, a bunch of puppies out of crosses, and and I talked him into letting me breed that dog, and and uh, I got two litters out of her, small litter, but she was she was really old, and uh, I was just glad to get to get one, and and uh, so uh, so I've got those dogs. They're heavily line bred, but they're they're some of my better dogs that I that I have, and then and then the other dogs that I'm that I'm breeding, I've got some from california and stuff i've got a friend over there that's been line breeding his own line for uh for quite a while and he's looking for the same things that i am in a dog and and so uh he got pretty tight in his 
in his lineage, and I got pretty tight in mine, so uh, bred a male of mine to his, and, and uh, we split the litter, and, and we just made another another breeding where um, where uh, we bred real tight. He bred from that litter back into his, his bloodline, and I did the same, and we're splitting those litters, and so I'm a big believer in the line breeding. Yeah. I, I think you can you can really screw up doing it, and I I don't mean by having three eyeballs and stuff like that, <laughs> but I think he, any faults get magnified as yeah, well as exactly. any you know sure. any good traits. Yeah. Well, Gary, you've done a lot. You've 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 been around running dogs and hounds, or more traditional hounds. You know the seven major Trail breeds. <clears throat> but uh, I'm curious, your you know with your exposure to both styles of dogs. What are some of the differences that you see, you know, this, this truckload of dogs, or if you brought, you know, we were hunting with, with your dogs? Because you're raising blue ticks. Right. Uh, of course, my blue ticks don't act like most of the coonhound blue ticks. You know, I, I don't want a dog that's independent to a fault. Mm-hmm. I want my dogs to act like these running dogs. If i got one dog that strikes, the rest of them better be getting there to, you know, to throw in and help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to see, you know, dog open here and another one go in the other direction. Uh, because what, you know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these dogs have to work together. You have a dog that's better at, at starting a track or trailing a track, then you're going to have better dogs. You can see, watch on that Garmin. You've got dogs swinging out here, shorties that are out there looking. Uh, my dogs tend not to swing out as much, but you know, unless they make a lose, you'll see them start swinging. But they tend to just fall in line more like the running dogs. Uh, and I think, you know, the trailing dogs probably have a little more desire to trail than the running dogs. Some of the running dogs, you know, they they want to run. I mean, that's why this, you know, these running dogs are bred for hundreds of years to, to, to pack and run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, Speed and, and, and drive. And that's, yeah. but, uh, you know. That's that's the difference, but uh, you know, like I say, the last thing I want a dog to do is is be independent to a fault. You know, if she's right or he's right, I want them to stay with it, but I don't want them to completely ignore everybody else and just go off and do their own thing. See, and I think he said he said a key word, and that was that was or words I should say was was teamwork. And to me, in the big game and and bobcat, uh, probably you know, fox and stuff, they've they they've got to have teamwork and that's i look at myself as a coach you know mm-hmm. and i'm the owner of the team and i'm the coach and and you go look at any good football team and that coach has a disciplined set of players that work together as a team and that's and that's yeah. to me that's how i look at it and i like to have a couple dogs you know some some people down here there is a lot of cats and uh they like they like to for instance my my father-in-law's dad uh he didn't want dogs to to cold trail a cat up. He wanted to he wanted to race right now. And if he didn't get one, he he'd call the dogs and go on up ahead, you know, a little further up to where where he's going to find a hot cat. And, and I like my dogs to trail a little bit, but but to me, my perfect balance for for cat dogs down here is to have, you know, if I have 14 dogs, I want to have three or four dogs that are that'll that'll stay true to that track and trail that. And, and that's my anchor and then the rest of the dogs i like them just out swinging out there looking for that track because well those dogs are are trailing right here if that cat you know turned and, and went 90 degrees to the right 
uh, one of those dogs might hit it over there mm-hmm. 50 yards, and and that just speeds it up. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just mm-hmm. you're just taking time out of that track, and so, but you can have too many trail dogs for mm-hmm. for bobcats down here. I think you can have too many dogs that are out there swinging looking. So it's trying to always keep that balance. And well, I was doing an article this past week just before we came down, and I talked to a well-known coonhound breeder uh, back east. And another fella has a, a pup there with this guy, and they're, you know, and and the first fella mentioned is hunting that dog, and the question I was kind of the messenger to ask him how this guy's puppy was doing, and he said, oh, he's doing good. I think he's going to make it, but he's a little too independent right now, and he's missing some opportunities mm-hmm. to get in on some things because he's out there doing his own thing but yep. he said once he gets it all together i think he's going to be good well i think that kind of speaks to what you're saying yeah. isn't it kind of yeah you know they yeah. learn from each other yeah right? absolutely and 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 at the same time the the dogs like he said they can't be too independent to a fault and, and sometimes in these in these dogs uh if you get to me in the running dogs if you get a dog that wants to trail Sometimes they they don't want to pay attention to the to the dogs up there that mm-hmm. that actually got that track ahead of them, mm-hmm. and that's the hard part to me is is keeping that respect for the other dogs, and when they hear that bark, pick yeah. their nose up and get their butt up sure. there, and then sure. you know, and then that track's already there. been covered. Absolutely. Why does he need to come by and cover it? Yeah, even know, if it hadn't been covered, if that dog, <laughs> you know swung around there and hit it if he's got it yeah yeah, but the dogs that want to trail behind the dog that's already made Mm. that yeah that line yeah i got it i got it well that's uh and how many litters will you raise a year you said you keep them all i try to i try to raise at least one litter a year you know i like i like a a lot of dogs um and i'm i'm i think we're all get kind of partial to dogs uh it's man's best friend you know so sometimes it can be hard to get rid of one that that you need to because mm-hmm. you like that dog's personality or whatever but he doesn't have yeah. the talent but to me when i have too many dogs it keeps me real honest um in calling the calling the dogs that aren't pulling their weight you know in my mm-hmm. opinion every dog you know has to have has to be an asset to the team in some way shape or form mm-hmm. and otherwise you're just wasting feed on them and so um so i'll I'll keep a lot of dogs around just to keep myself keep myself honest yeah, on it. That's a good you know good point. You said you start the puppies usually they just run loose mm-hmm. and they start on rabbits usually or jackrabbits or yeah, whatever. Yeah, we've we've got cottontails and jackrabbits both down here and and uh and so yeah, I leave them loose and let them run those rabbits. Heck, I let them run deer. Um mm-hmm. I really don't care. I, whatever they want to run, they can run. It doesn't matter to me because and they're running coyotes whatever else. I don't I don't know, you know, I just leave them loose 24 hours a day and and uh about what time do you pin them up then? At what stage? I mean? usually usually wait until the neighbor calls and says he's got my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the gauge I, I use too. Well, to me, you know, I can I can haul that dog to the woods one time a day and uh um and I can hunt that dog for several hours a day. But if I leave that dog loose, 24 hours a day then uh then he gets he gets the experiences he's ready for it you know and and uh 
I'll find those puppies coming in in the morning. They can't hardly walk. They're tired. They're skinny. They're, you know, they're they're wore out because they've been running stuff all night. And and where I could only got that dog three hours of hunting that day, uh, I'm not doing him any justice when he can get himself twelve hours. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, the uh, get get sound set back here, um, Gary. I appreciate you calling us and introducing us to Shorty. What a, I've enjoyed spending time with you. We're gonna do it more. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Shoot I can get you. a flight into Austin pretty cheap. Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and uh, Frontier Airlines. I couldn't believe it, man. I think I flew into Austin from Tampa for like two hundred dollars round trip, something like that. It wasn't bad at all. Yeah, yeah. I picked mine up for one hundred and sixty-six bucks from here. You know, round trip from cincinnati that's a shout out to to frontier frontier we'll expect the royalties there you go there you go there you go always looking for sponsors aren't we shorty yeah absolutely yeah can't have too many sponsors that's right that's right i'll tell you like i tell everyone else i'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not so you might as well be here (laughs) so it's up to you that's true and that's the truth you know and that's that's why his dogs you know behave like they do and and hopefully we'll you know i've got to leave this evening but you know, hopefully you'll get on a race tomorrow and you'll see what these dogs can do because uh I'll tell you what, it's extremely rare that when they, you know, well, I can't tell you, like Shorty can't on, on cold trailing, uh, what the percentage is they might catch. But if, if they get one jumped, I'm putting money on this pack. They're going to put it on, catch it on the ground or they're going to tree it. Yeah. There's not many escapees. Uh, yeah. these, these dogs work as a team and, uh, and most of the time, like conditions will be different tomorrow. Most of the time, if they can, if they can smell it, they'll trail it up. Right. The majority of, the, I mean, the high majority of the time, right. it's just terrible right now. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had rain here in three months. Yeah, is that uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I know people back east think, oh, it's oh so dry. Well, it rained two <laughs> weeks ago. No, uh, here it's it's been three months, mm-hmm. and the same way in my country. Although today I looked on the radar and I'm getting rained at the house this morning. Yeah, you've been celebrating all morning. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> not yeah. only has it not rained in three months, it's been you know 106 degrees and really? yeah. 15 yeah. mile an hour winds. So it's like running a blow dryer over it all day long every Jeez. day. So yeah, yes. I know I looked at the forecast for the week in anticipation of this trip, and I noticed one day there's going to be 98 degrees. I said, whoa. You know, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm leaving Florida, and I'm going to hotter weather. Yeah, than what I yeah. got down here. Yeah. But hopefully we'll get in a we'll get in a white brush thicket tomorrow, and we can get a little recording so we can play mm. for everybody at home. Oh, so they yeah, here here sure. South Texas Cat Race there on, you go. on the podcast. Might have to stop. That that'll be our pre-roll there for the go. podcast. There yeah. you go. A little hound music rolling through the brush. That'd be good. <laughs> Gary, what kind of uh, you got any good stuff coming up from Carnivore or Burnham Brothers? Uh, just that, you know, we're, we'll be coming out with that new ultra, 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 ultrasonic game caller that we were talking about this morning where I didn't know if that cat was out of the bag yet. Yeah, or not. we've, we've let it out of the bag because I think it's something that a guy, you know, needs to do a little research on is, you know, uh, there's a lot more sound out there that's produced at frequencies that humans don't hear yet. You know, these coyotes can hear and these bobcats can hear and, uh, we can hear it about 20,000 hertz. That's the frequency level we'll hit humans could go to. But that coyote and these dogs can hear it about 45,000, and cats go up to about 64,000. So mm-hmm. we have found a way to hit those frequencies, and I promise you 
I'll look anybody in the eye and guarantee them at least 100% increase in calling success because I know you're probably going to have two to 300% increase in calling success. Yeah. That it makes that much difference. Yeah. The cat's so, out of the bag because I saw coyotes running past my house south for old Mexico the other day. So <laughs> <laughs> they know it's coming. The word is out. <laughs> well, we did see a road runner or two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here, so I know there's coyotes around. Here. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. There, there's a few road runners. And then uh, this morning coming in, I came in from the north and uh, I saw a fox cross the road in front of me. So. There's a lot of lot of wildlife in this country. Something you guys uh, were impressed about the number of quail. Oh yeah, I couldn't yeah, believe it. You know that you guys said there are any more quail in this country, and we're driving around flushing quail everywhere. I've seen more quail here than I've seen in Indiana in the last ten or fifteen years for sure. Just this morning, yeah, I'm yeah. doing a short loop, yeah. and it's a good thing to see too. Yep. It is bobcat food. <laughs> well, I mean, Texas, sure. Texas for me was. I've I've been here a few times. But it was just, I knew it was all lock gates, mm-hmm. and I, I look at that and I think, man, you know, how do you how do you hunt it? How do you do it? And uh, it, for an outsider coming in blind, there's not a lot of opportunity. No, there's not. not basically none. Yeah. You know, really. So I know that it, that's kind of sad in a way, but, but uh, at the same time, once you make friends with those ranchers and get access to it, you're the only one that's got access to it. So yeah. it's kind of cool and that way. One of the things um, about Texas is they, even though they're second largest state in the union, they're also second from the bottom on the amount of public land mm-hmm. per land mass. Yeah. You know, so that just boggles your mind. And, and the, the fish and wildlife here understands that. So they work with ranchers yep. and the hunters a lot more cooperatively to to uh manage this wildlife down here and it shows yeah yeah the fishing game you know i know a lot of people uh you have traveled a lot and hunted different places and stuff and it's always when you hear fishing game the the guys get all gravelly and you know grouchy and and whatever because i know the relationship isn't always (laughs) great there but uh but here shoot we love our fishing game you know if if i see something going on shady i've I'm gonna call my local guy Ryan and and uh, tell him exactly what's going on and he knows everything I know and and uh, they're they're good people they're out here trying to help the ranchers and like mm-hmm. I said you know Texas does two billion plus in in the hunting industry so these guys are gonna work with each other and make it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly been a uh, good time so far. Good podcast. You got anything well, else, Steve? I don't. I don't. I can't add anything. I'm learning here. You know, this is my first bobcat hunt with running hounds uh wasn't a very good one (laughs) oh no well well you know it can only go up from here shorty that's right well he just didn't want to set our expectations (laughs) no 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 we talked about that a little bit this morning in the truck shorty when you talked about sometimes when you have clients or whatever into hunt and they don't they ask questions they don't really understand why something's not happening right now yeah you know pop 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 but if someone's experienced in hunting and with mm-hmm. hounds, you know it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah, and I think you know most of most of the listeners are going to get it. Uh, they've they've been there, and uh, but I try to anybody that's a non-hunter that I take, I try to try to start explaining scent and and animal movement and all of that stuff before we ever get there because. As you guys listening know, when your buddy's sitting there looking at you with their hands going, what the heck's going on? And you're trying to tell them what's going on. They think you're making excuses and you feel dumb. And uh, right. yeah, I try to, 
I try to fill them all in on all the bad things that could go wrong before anything <laughs> make goes your excuses right. up front yeah yeah there get them go. out get them out <laughs> in the open good deal <laughs> yeah that's valuable sure so that kind of we didn't even talk about your guiding and uh outfitting business shorty yeah just just getting it rolling really it's something that uh i've been guiding for probably the last 10 years for for other people and with the bullfighting you know and being gone all the time it's hard to you know well our busiest time of the season is hunting season so uh it's hard to to get away and you know, I'm a 41-year-old bullfighter, so I know I don't have too many more years left in in, <laughs> in that arena. So, uh, so it's time to start, you know, getting getting uh, getting ready for for after bullfighter life. And you know, I I really took to heart that that uh, you find what you like to do and figure out a way to make a living at it, and you'll never work a day in your life. And I've done that all my life, and I don't want to change. So, so that's why we're going with the with the outfitting. But it's uh. We're not doing all game. It's just going to be strictly bobcats and lions because that's yeah. what I love to do. So, and you've you've proven this pack all over the United States. You've done lion studies with Florida Fish and Game Commission and mm-hmm. and uh, been in California and, and yeah, all over yeah. with these dogs. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know it's 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 fun. I I hear you know that the dogs need to adapt. They need to adapt and all this stuff. Well, coming out of here. There's, I haven't seen an adaptation period when I go other places because you see what it's like here today. Anywhere else you go from here, it's these dogs are like, oh, wow, this is cool. Yeah, yeah, I can actually smell. You know, so I dropped those two pounds of mine out here, and they would look, turn around, and look at me like, you got to be kidding. Right? Yeah. No. Really? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What so. about your Florida uh, exploits down there? Man, I I had a ball once I got uh, once I got. Kind of acclimated to things. <laughs> I guess the first, I was hunting with a with a, you know, legend in the in the in the hound game and in the wildlife game. Roy McBride uh, actually got me out there, and and Roy's the kind of guy that he's not going to tell you anything. He's going to let you figure it out for himself for yourself. And so there was no coaching. You know, he just basically told me, "Hey, there's you're going to go down this road, and then there's a lock gate there, and the combinations this, and then you'll." You know, he said, you just need to go get lost, and and uh, you'll catch game if you're lost. He said. Uh, so, <laughs> did he give you uh, food or water? <laughs> I had some, you know, and and uh, I went out there, and the first day I came back, I I said, uh, I said, hey, Roy, this hunting in these swamps is a little different. And he kind of giggled, you know. <laughs> I'm not used to hunting around alligators and and moccasins and or cotton mouse, whatever, and yeah. all this stuff. I said, you know what I figured out, Roy? I said walking across the, the swamps i said the deeper that water gets the colder it gets and he kind of looked at me funny i i said yeah because my huevos got way higher up in my throat than they did when that shallow water yeah. <laughs> i didn't know what the heck was gonna bite me gosh it was <laughs> welcome to my world yeah yeah, yeah. it was, it yeah, was but then once sure. you learned to traverse it shoot it was it was fun you know he was got to catch a lot of panthers and and uh, I was there, you being from Florida, you'll understand it. The, the, I was there in a the high water time. So mm-hmm. um, we actually only got to put a collar on one panther because uh, if there's, you know, in, I, th- since the 80s, um, I think they've only wa- lost one panther doing a study. And they don't want that to change. And so they're very, very cautious. If there's any water anywhere near that they think when we sedate that panther that he could possibly get in and, and drowned when it falls asleep they won't even do it and so uh so we only got to collar one but it was it was fun and it was 
it was neat and it was it was a lot different than i thought you know a lot of people asked me about the scent and they said could those dogs just run away i and i i don't know if it's just down there in the swamps it didn't seem like that scent lasted a long time mm-hmm. down there i don't know if it decomposes quicker or what but but you didn't we didn't really cold trail things very very far i caught a couple bobcats that we trailed for like a mile and and uh i had a couple couple panthers that i trailed for about a mile and had to call the dogs off there getting into private ground but but um other than that everything was you know relatively relatively close they would they would start it cold and and boom it was caught right there but mm-hmm. one thing i did notice was in that water uh you know those cats would walk through those those swamps and touch a little bit of, of vegetation or something so the dogs had to had to be pick able to heads pick their heads up and get it off that yeah. vegetation mm-hmm. or or jump the swamp completely and get it on the other side right. where it was and they'll learn right to around. do that too but yeah i, I started a, a walker pup last winter and uh, down there and there was so much water we had a lot of rain very mm-hmm. wet and uh, you know there, that scent is everywhere but it's hard to define in that water it's hard to right. get a line on it type mm-hmm. you know it's yeah, and they splash around, the and, top of the and they'll come to one of those cypress, uh, bell-bottom cypress trees, mm-hmm. you know, and there'll be some scent there where that, in my case, a raccoon has crossed that. Right. Well, you know, it's on the wood, sure. you know, and they want a tree there, you mm-hmm. know. But the dogs that are experienced, they know to check and go on. Right. You know, yes. Yeah. It, everywhere seems to be unique in some way. You know, and I don't care where you go, there's going to be difficulties there. Some somehow there's going to be, you know, every every piece of ground I've ever hunted has presented some sort of difficulties for the dogs, and, and uh, which makes it fun, you know. Yeah. So be boring otherwise, right? It would, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you guys ready to wrap this thing up? Real quick, Shorty, where can, if somebody wants to come and book a lion or a cat hunt with Shorty Gorham, where they find you? Uh, right now, just doing it, uh, just doing it all on social media. It's uh, Mountain Lion Adventures, and it's MT Lion Adventures. So uh, you can look us up there. Just hit me a direct message or whatever, and I'll get with you, and we'll yeah. we'll figure it out. So good deal, good deal. You, Gary, you got anything else? No, except I really am uh, glad y'all invited me down here to hunt with you guys. And you invited uh, us. Well, that, maybe that's right. But uh, it's been a fun morning. You know, yeah. one thing. You know, we were able to get a lot of visiting done in that pickup when you don't have a race going. Uh, but uh, one cool thing about Shorty is, and Steve, we've done several TV shows with him. He's one of those guys that the more you're around him, the more you like him because sure. he's genuine. And uh, and that's so I guess so I got to buy you lunch now, Gary. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking I'm getting hungry, and we're going down here to Batesville to Desi's and and to get into some Mexican food. But it'll yeah. be good. Yeah. Well, Gary, it's good to finally shake your hand. We uh, talked on the phone, and we did the podcast, and we got great reviews on that. And it's been a great uh, time for me this morning to get to riding. The, you and I rode the back seat. And Chris, we got the back seat covered. Yeah, but. Uh, I had to get the gate. Yeah. (laughs) We got a little vocal uh, dog back there every once in a while. I think she's beginning to to get in in her time of year, Mm -hmm. and she's drawing a little attention, right? Yeah, I've got two 
Only got two intact males back there, but uh, yeah, she's she's coming <laughs> in and they can't stand it. Boys will be boys, I guess. They will be for yep. sure. For sure. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be in Texas. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. Well, Steve. Well, you, you know, Chris, I thought just a minute yeah. that we might touch on the fact, and Ga uh, Gary's going to be joining us about oh, yeah, absolutely. It, uh, in our trip in January mm -hmm. uh, to Arizona. Why don't you hit that just yeah. a minute? Yeah, so uh, in January, we're going to be headed to the Navajo Nation, and it's been on social media a lot, but uh, uh, we're going to be headed out there to take a Gold Star family member. He's a Marine, and uh, Tanner Babb will be going through uh, uh, Freedom Hunters. I guess I should say we've partnered with Freedom Hunters, a nonprofit organization that takes veterans returning home, Gold Star family members on, on all kinds of epic outdoor adventures. And and uh, Tanner is going to be our our recipient of our first, first hunt there at the Navajo Nation. Uh, Calvin Redhouse is going to host us as the outfitter there on the on the Navajo. And uh, so, yeah, we're really looking forward to, to spending more time with Gary out there. Well, and I listened to that podcast yesterday on my flight in, and uh, uh, when we're eating over here at Desi's, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because uh, we're going we're gonna to get together and do some stuff too. And Yeah. For those, That's... another thing while, while we got you here, uh, for those of you patriots that, uh, that like watching patriotic sports, if you haven't checked out bull riding, dang sure go check it out. I think I think it's most patriotic group of people that uh, that you'll ever get to watch play professionally, and and I'm definitely one of those guys. So uh, over Desi's, we're going to discuss some lion hunts here in a little bit, and maybe even some bobcat hunts. So we'll be doing this some more. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. That's yep. awesome. Yeah. It's been a great podcast, Chris. Sure you know, has. we have a we have a tradition that started over in West Virginia with a bear hunter named John Harris, one of the hardest hunters I ever met, seriously. This guy, I mean, he'd go in the mountains and stay a week. He'll have guys drop him off, and they'd say, well, you know, pick me up tomorrow afternoon. And he'll just spend the night and the next day in the mountains following his hounds. They were trying to start a sheep-killing bear. And there was some conversation about which way the track was going. John says, boys, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine.